0: Welcome to the Asia edition of Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech podcast. I'm Rachel Williamson. And I'm Karis Palmer. Every fortnight, we dissect the successes and failures of financial innovators and bring you the people at the top of their field working to disrupt banking.
1: From traditional banks doing things differently to startups navigating the unforgiving world of financial services, I'm Simon Spencer, and this is Breaking Banks Asia.
0: Hello and welcome to 2024. I'm your host, Rachel Williamson, and on the show today, we have Richard Turin back with us. Welcome, Richard, how are you doing?
1: Hi, Rachel, I'm great. And thank you for having me on at the start of 2024 because it's going to be a big year.
0: It is going to be a huge year. Now, for anyone who doesn't already know Richard or his newsletter, Cashless, he is an authority on tech innovation and digital transformation and is also one of the world's leading experts on China's digital yuan, which we will get into on the show. So, Richard, what are you watching in fintech in China this year?
1: For me, the big issue will be the digital yuan, and it's not just because I wrote a book about this and I love it, but it's really going to be the year where it matters now let me explain so far the digital yuan has been rather quiet in the sense that there everybody knows that it's under trial it's available i have it i can use it to buy you know buy sodas or whatever from the vending machines in the metro not i cannot use it at a lot of my local coffee shops and stores because they don't accept it not all of them a couple of them do So it's been rather quiet. That quiet ended, actually, it ended this November and December, and we're going to see more of this quiet being broken because what's happening is the digital yuan has been used for the first few cross-border transfers. So there were two very, very significant transactions done in China with the digital yuan and they are first uh, a purchase of around 90 million US dollars worth of oil paid for in digital yuan now the sneaky part about that is that the actual oil was purchased on Shanghai market so the digital yuan went from account to account within china it didn't actually leave the country but then the next trade is really interesting, and that one was this December 21st. I got the date on it, at least close enough. Um, was a trade for $14 million for gold purchase. And here the digital yuan actually left China and went across the border to Hong Kong. Now look, the real end game here is oil being bought and with digital yuan in the United Arab Emirates, which is a partner to the Mbridge CBDC transfer system being built in Hong Kong. So what we've got are like puzzle pieces going into place. And the puzzle pieces are one, if you thought that China's digital yuan was just for buying a cup of coffee, you got it wrong. Pardon me. I'm not trying to be too sarcastic. Did anyone
0: but really think free- that? Y- yes, it was going yes, to be used for did. buying coffee.
1: I, I I took I took a lot of flack on this. I was saying, look, they're going to buy oil with this. This is going to be a big ticket item. CBDC. It's not just going to be for coffee. And people are like, oh no, they you know the Chinese government has no interest in making this go abroad. It's only it's only to attack WeChat and Alipay. And that's a common thread. Oh, central China's digital yuan is designed to take away market share or attack WeChat and Alipay, the existing transfer systems or digital payment systems. And my response has always been the digital yuan is to designed to go where WeChat pay and Alipay never were designed to go and never will be able to go. And you see a $14 million cross-border transfer for gold, you know, in December. And we, I can tell you, WeChat Pay and Alipay do not allow $14 million trans- transfers on them. So, yeah, people thought it was, um, many people looked at it and, well, that they didn't like it is one issue, that they did not see its potential to be a geopolitical game changer is the reality. And now, and that's where, so what's gonna happen in 2024? What we're gonna see is the digital yuan finally be used in some cross-border trades, and these trades will be large. And whether they're commodity, it doesn't matter what is bought, but the real issue will be digital yuan used for cross-border purposes, Probably commodities or something equally sensitive, because frankly, the Chinese want to show it off, and that is going to put it on the map as going from oh, we think it's something to watch, to oh my God, we really do have to watch this. And I warn, I've been warning people for years about it, and 2024 is when it's going to happen. So there is other things going on in China, but that's 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 uh, I think geopolitically the most interesting.
0: I'd like to put something to you. In our last episode, we were talking with economist Richard Holden and he put into words Western fears around China and a global CBDC, namely that he doesn't trust a non-democracy that has shown itself to be very happy to reach deeply into the lives of its citizens using their power over a global currency in a benign way and acting in global interests. And I'd like to know, Basically, what's your response to those fears? And why why not people that, that, should be squeezing? I'm going, about I'm going
1: it. berserk. Are you kidding me? Do you realize why this is happening? This is happening because of a sanctions regime that has sanctioned hundreds of nations where neighbors cannot trade with fellow neighbors because of sanctions lists that are governed by predominantly US, UK, and EU that are enforced via SWIFT. So, you know, so the really funny thing is this, the, that comment is a beautiful example of how it depends on which side of the street you are standing on. If you are standing in the US-UK-EU version of the world, all of these sanctions are just and must be upheld. And if you are on the other side of the street as a sanctioned nation, you say to these sanctions, why am I unable to trade in dollars? Why has Cuba been shut off since 1962? You know, it's not exactly like they're successful either. And I know that we have bigger issues with Russia and war. I understand these things. But there is. So when you tell me about trust, please look at the latest proposal by the U.S. government to literally confiscate all Russian wealth in the United States and use it for the rebuilding of. Ukraine. Now, I'm not commenting. I don't want to comment about the war in Ukraine specifically. It's horrible. End of story. That's my only comment. It is a nightmare. It's bad. Okay. But when you confiscate assets from Russia, that means raises the question of who's next. So the real issue is, so when you talk to me about, can we trust China? The real question that has been raised, that has given rise to CBDC, that has given rise for the need for another transfer is, can you trust the dollar? And this is a fundamental point for all nations right now. And that is why you see a big movement for central banks not to hold dollar, to reduce dollar reserves to purchase gold, look at China for one, they're buying gold in massive quantities. And that's why you see at least a small reduction in dollar reserves held by central banks. The risk is not over the dollar's value. Nobody's asking whether the dollar is going up or down. What they're asking is, if we have dollars, can we use them if we want to? Now you say to me, well, that's only for bad countries. Yeah, perhaps you're right. But what if that bad country is your next door neighbor, and you have to do business with them because they have essential commodities? Are you going to starve your people? But,
0: <laughs> but this that, is this is I mean, this is great. Thank you so much, Richard. But I, I so, just want to get so, a, I just want to get a, a question in there. Effectively, you're replacing one hegemon with another, and anticipating that the new one will act in your interests. And the other side of that is that it does look like the world will be heading into these silos, these, say, regional silos of countries that want to get out from underneath that U.S. hegemony and, you know, the ones that quite like it. Does that sound like where we're heading with this?
1: Well, okay. first of all, you know, there's sort of two issues. One is how do you define a hegemon? China, for all of its business, is really sort of funny. The one thing you don't see ever is, oh, by the way, we're China. You should adopt our political system. Hi, we're China. We're going to make you communist. So that's number one. So if you're doing business in digital yuan, does it mean that you are subservient or subject to China's political influence? Let's just call it that. All right. I think that's the simplest way. And the answer is you're already doing business with China, you're buying goods and services from China, and you're buying them in the most expensive way possible because you're taking your local currency, you convert it into U.S. dollar, that's one foreign exchange hop, and then you take U.S. dollar and convert it into Chinese yuan to buy this stuff from from China. So when you go to digital yuan, you're still buying from China, but now you're gonna buy it in digital yuan. You'll have one hop from Oz to digital yuan and an instant settlement across borders at a very, very low price. That, that's the future we're looking at. But you know the funny thing is, so the, the reality is, China as the world's largest exporter, basically means that most of the planet is doing business with China in some way, shape, or form already. So the concept that by changing the means of payment from US dollar to Chinese Yuan, would somehow make you obliged or otherwise uh politically connected to China is an absurdity look I get it folks listening to the podcast I get it China is not going to win popular country of the of the world award today I get that but, the reality is, they are the world's largest exporter. You are doing business with them. You are continuing to do business with them. Do business in the most efficient way possible, and do not succumb to fear and fear mongering.
0: <laughs> now, I don't want to. I don't want to completely defame Richard Holden. Too, he is more worried about Bezos bucks than uh, China's CBDC. So let's move on. At the end of last year, China released a data plan for 2024 to 2026 that's designed to unlock value in 12 industries, including financial services. How do you think this plan might influence the fintech sector?
1: Oh, that's a a great question. And the answer is, it's going to have a tremendous impact on fintech. And the reason is because data is recognized in China as a commodity. It's treated as a commodity, and in the future, we will see more of this data going to the data markets in Shanghai, up in uh, one of the in Beijing, and there's a couple of others where there are actually platforms that have been built so that you can buy and sell data legally. Now, this is a really big thing because it legalizes what data is being sold, what you're going to do with it, so that you don't have a data free-for-all like we have in the West. Let me explain. Somebody will say, well, we have data in the West, and it's sold. Yes, it is. It's sold through data brokers, and most people don't even know that this is all happening. It's all happening under the table and not in the open. So what China is doing is it set up these data trading facilities, markets, exchanges, and um, they're not doing a lot of business now, but they are starting to take, say, utility data, sensor data from Shanghai's roads. So Shanghai government, for example, has sensors on the roads. They can tell how many cars are going through 24 hours a day. So that's an example of data that's available from the state. OK, you want it? Buy it. Maybe it's cheap. Maybe it's not super expensive. But there is a data package. It's known what it is. It's known that what's in there is not violating the privacy of citizens or otherwise uh, damaging the, the greater economy. And it can be purchased through through an exchange. Now, how does that impact fintech? Now, here's the funny thing. When we look at WeChat Pay and Alipay as the payment providers, when you make a payment, they capture the data. All right, they and they actually sell some of this data. All right, so they can you can buy payment information not directly tied to the individual, probably like the United States, but or, or the West. But um, but now that we go into the CBDC world, much of the payments, all payments below three hundred U.S. equivalent are anonymous, so there's not gonna be that payment data. So what you're gonna see is that fintechs are going to be looking for data supplies from different sources. They're gonna say, well, I can get some of this data from WeChat, some of it I can get from Alipay, maybe I can get it from a bank, but if the bank is gonna sell this data, it may may be required to go through a data market service so that all that data is ensured to be legal. It's not going to be make it or break it for fintech, but it will be an important tool for fintech to use going forward, I think is the best way to put it. It's part of an open and above board data future for all citizens that I think will be a model for other countries.
0: You should have added that to your post about fintech ideas that were born in China.
1: I, sh- I should have. There's Well, there's just two. There's too many. How's that? That's my answer from where i sit in china the saddest part about the difficulty in relationship between the us and china is that people are tuning out i where i write on social media when i wrote about china 3 or 4 years ago on social media boom you know i got i got a lot of comments and things when i write about china now i write into silence Yes, I get comments back. I still get reasonable amounts of views on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever, but I get people have tuned out or turned off, and that's very sad.
0: Why do you think that is? Because because
1: there are these things,
0: these ideas coming out of China and these fintech ideas, live commerce, that sort of thing, which are still not, are probably going to come into Asia and the rest of the world, but not yet. It's that. All sorts of and, and these.
1: The answer is simple. People are now so programmed to think of China as an enemy that they tune out, and it's very sad because China, at least on the digital front, is phenomenally advanced. It's dramatic when you look at some of these statistics. Digital payments. Data markets, you know, live streaming uh, e-commerce sales. China invented this, you know, Uh, TikTok, number one app on the planet. So there are all of these these interesting digital services that already exist in China. And what's really funny is that when I'm on social media, I have people saying, I wonder what the future will look like in the West. And I'm like, you shouldn't be wondering, you should just go to China and see what's going on there. They're easily a decade ahead in many different areas. So if you want to know what the future of banking will look like, you want to look look what the future of e-commerce is going to look like. You want to, yeah, There are so many questions that can be answered by looking at China. And it's not that the rest of the world will immediately copy exactly what China did, but it'll be a different flavor of ice cream. What flavors so the-
0: do you think are coming out of China in the next? Yeah, to five years.
1: Oh boy. Um, that's a really good question. And I think that the flavor of choice is going to be globalization, where you see China's large digital companies are going to go global. and I don't think there's any putting the genie back in the bottle. Okay, so let's look at a great example. Let's look at Alipay, which is obviously the the payment system. So there's now a service called Alipay Plus. And what Alipay Plus does, it has taken many QR-based payment systems throughout Southeast Asia, and it gave them a platform so that now if I have Alipay in China, which I do, I can go to Thailand, and I think it's TruePay in Thailand. If I have a TruePay QR code come up, I just go beep, scan that QR code, and I get payment through my Alipay system. So, you know, it's a real boon for all of those who live in Asia, Southeast Asia who use QR payment every day. You'll be able to travel to another country and use that same trusted QR code system and you're going to get wholesale exchange rates on the on the transfers. So, you know, this is a great example of Alipay going Global. What you're going to see is the normalization of Chinese services, e-commerce, financial, and other into into Europe and into Africa. Let's leave the United States out of it because there it's a whole political disaster waiting to happen. But anyway, um, I think that's what we're going to look. That's what we're going to see a lot of.
0: Surely, the normalization of Chinese services outside China has happened because of TikTok and because of Xi'an and AliExpress. But it's that financial services side that I think is going to be really, really interesting. You know, you pointed out the Alipay QR code platform. You know, what other services like that do you see spreading through Asia and then effectively being exported to the rest of the world in the next year or two well,
1: years? Well, I, I, I sound like a broken record. I apologize. But it's digital yuan.
0: Aside from digital so yuan. that's...
1: Been, so let's go aside from the digital yuan. So as far as financial services, remember the West has a duopoly of Visa and MasterCard. And essentially China has a duopoly of WeChat Pay and AliPay. So you're not going to see smaller Chinese startups going out to the to the world because there's no market for them. They've, you know, they're already in competition with two. Massive companies that do this. So, on a financial scale, the thing that you're going to see on big scale will be IPOs, which have already moved to Hong Kong. That's that's the one to watch because of the U.S. problems with with market. This already happened last year. We all know that all Chinese IPOs are going to be funneled through Hong Kong. On the macro scale, that's the big thing to watch and. If I don't have a list of five or 10 new things, it's not because China isn't innovating, but it's because the question really is, which one of these innovations are going to go abroad and will be accepted abroad?
0: And I imagine it's hard to pick individual things as well, because, you know, embedded payments have been used in China for such a long time, but when they first appeared, who knew they would become the thing that they are today?
1: Well, yeah, and that's an interesting topic because, look, embedded finance is big in the West. And whenever you read about embedded finance, you always read about BNPL, buy now, pay later, because that is the number one product that has been embedded. And it's really funny because, as I write in my recent uh, article on the myths, the fintech myths to be busted, is, you know, BNPL is only 1% of what you can do with embedded finance and stop congratulating yourself because China's got a lot more. We've got embedded insurance, embedded this, you know, whatever financial product it is, you can find it on an internet some site somewhere embedded to wherever you're looking. And it's not just an advertisement, you know, if you're especially on your phone, you could click through and buy, pay, everything would be done in five clicks if you wanted. So there's a lot more that we can do with embedding. And that's a great example of technology that um, the West should be looking to China to say, hey, well, what did they do with this embedded stuff? What have they been doing? Let's see if we can, ready? Let's see if we can copy a few of the things that China did, which would mark a really great and funny moment because China is always accused of copying the West, but now what you see is, in digital sense is that the West is actually copying China.
0: Wouldn't that be an interesting thing to see in 2024? Oh, yeah. Thank you for it, so it, much it, for great. joining us, Richard. i really, really appreciated having you on today
1: well thank you so much for having me Rachel and look I know that this is I've been really excited about this one and I know that some people will want to either disagree with me agree with me give me hell or whatever I'm used to it this is these are these are top some of the topics are very controversial it's been a pleasure and thank you so much for having me Rachel
0: I'm your host Rachel Williamson and you've been listening to Breaking Banks Asia.
1: If you enjoyed today's episode of Breaking Banks Asia, don't forget to share it on Twitter, leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to our show. This helps us build our audience and support our sponsors so we can continue to bring you a great show every fortnight.